I want to read this text coming out of Genesis chapter 4, verses uh, 2 through 8. And uh, let's, let's hear the word of the Lord. Later, she, that's Eve, gave birth to his brother, Abel, talking about Cain. Now, Abel kept flocks, which meant that he was a shepherd. And Cain worked the soil, which meant he was a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits, shout some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, shout fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. His face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, hey, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, hey, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must, everybody shout, rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Everybody shout amen. Please be seated. A few weeks ago, my friend Pastor George Henneman was here, and he reminded us of how the Bible repeatedly calls believers, and particularly those of us who are Jesus followers, to not stand as bystanders on the side of the road in the midst of cities and communities that are going through challenge and chaos and pain. But we are to be actually engaged and involved. One of the passages he used was Jeremiah chapter uh, 29, verse 7. It's a wonderful passage. God has called the people into exile, and here they are in this foreign place. And then God says to them uh, in Jeremiah 29, 7, essentially he says, uh, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will what? Prosper. And in that context, he said that believers should be trying to bless, everybody shout bless, their communities and their city and obviously our nation. And I think Jesus' followers are uniquely designed to do this. A couple of months ago, with a group of pastors, I had an opportunity to meet with the superintendent of the Ridgewood City School District. And he shared with us how, because of the rise of charter schools and other public policy issues, uh, the budget of the district has lost millions of dollars. As a result, the Ridgewood City School District are closing down schools and selling the buildings in order to compensate. He told us that this summer, four schools were going to be closed down and we asked what we could do and ultimately as a result of that decision various churches took a school to partner with and we partnered with the Henry Ford Elementary School which is literally just two blocks up the street. I'm so happy to report that Wednesday, Thursday and Friday on last week somewhere between uh, 
60 and 70 of us uh, showed up in mass, fed uh, breakfast to these and teachers who were being who had been traumatized some of them had been teaching in their buildings for 25 30 years they had to pack up and leave and come here well we met them there with love and we served them breakfast we we participated in 25 classrooms across that school helped them unpack and and put up stuff on their walls and just make themselves at home and uh, can you just give God a hand praise that's what your church did to bless the community Watch this video. Here's a testimony of one of the teachers uh, that we were able to be a blessing to. Say a word to the audience here. All right, you don't know us. You never met us before. You just heard of this church out of the blue. Actually, we're just like two blocks up the street, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's what they were telling uh, me. Yes, but yes. What, what kind of impact has this oh. uh, being here had? Oh, my gosh. This is amazing. This? this is amazing, especially for, there are like 25 new teachers, staff on site because it was kind of more like a merge and so um yeah just having the support is like i was kind of sharing this a little bit but having the support knowing that you're not doing this on your own so like if i was doing other stuff honestly these walls would have never been done today and these amazing walls with borders (laughs) this was all you guys you know um to do it by the first day but just knowing that you know what that it's divided, that, you know, that that the support was very helpful and, and yeah, and knowing that then I have one less thing to do. And, yeah, and this is a two-thing job, like two people. Sure. So. And it makes it a little emotionally easier yes. considering all this stuff. Yes, yes, no, for sure. Knowing that we're coming in and there's help and, you know what, and then even in the morning that there was, oh, yes, look at all of you cheery, <laughs> smiling faces and, you know, a positive yeah. attitude and just willing to do anything. So I appreciate that. Well, it's pretty amazing. I just want to thank you for all you do. Come on, give God a hand praise. That's the impact. (laughs) Quick story. So we got there at 7.30. Some of us got there at 7.30 to set up breakfast because we are going to feed them. We came in mass around 9.30 and 10 o'clock, but we had three or four people there at 7.30. And so the teachers was coming in, and for good reasons, some of them was like suspicious. They were like, this church coming in, church people, yeah, yeah, right, whatever. And so... Uh, one of the guys, a couple of them, said to our people that were there, they said, look, we don't need any help. We got it. So I said, cool, you know. About 9, 30, 10, we started coming in in mass. Boom. Like 43 of us showed up on the first day. And the teacher was looking around. They were like, oh, my goodness, look at all these people. Then they went back to our lead person. They said, look, actually, we can use three of those people right over there. <laughs> you see, that's what it looks like for the church to bless the community. Our transforming community pillar really has a theological basis. It's John 3.16. This is how I explain it to people. Say at the end of the day, look, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to love the community through unconditional, extravagant generosity. And it comes straight out of the text. John 3.16. You know what John 3.16 says? For God so what? Love the world. He showed us how to do it. Everybody shout love. That he gave, shout generosity. Generosity. Gave his one and only son. Now that's extravagant. Shout extravagant. That whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody say whosoever. Which means he gave his son. His son gave his life. That's the gift. 
Some people may accept it, some people may not accept it, but the gift has already been given regardless. So that's unconditional. Shout unconditional. So if you want to leave here this morning and go and make a difference in the world, I challenge you to go out there and love unconditionally, extravagantly, and generously. And wherever you do that, lights will start shining in the darkness. Come on, give God a hand, praise. It's worth your showing up just to get that right there. So that's one of the ways that we can be a blessing in this broken and insane world. But another way that we can be a blessing in this broken and insane world is for us to first realize that before we can be a part of the solution of some of the madness around us, we have to recognize how we are a part of the problem. Everybody shout we. As you know, I've been out of the pulpit for three weekends. And the weekend just before I left, we uh, walked with several families through horrendous grief. One is Heather Noon's family who she was tragically lost. And then... The morning I got up to preach her funeral, on a Saturday, I had to ask for a word of silence because the shooting had taken place in Gilroy just the previous day. A six-year-old had been shot and killed, a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old. Somebody shot insanity. And then we finished that up. George preached for me that Sunday. I jumped on a plane, went to Louisiana for the next weekend. Why? Because my beloved cousin had passed. And I was scheduled to do her funeral. Before I could stand up to actually preach her funeral, I found out that there was another shooting in El Paso on that Saturday. 22 people killed, 24 people wounded. Somebody shot insanity. I went on and preached that funeral on Saturday. And by the time I get back Saturday, even Saturday night, I'm preparing to preach in my home church that I grew up in. And then it comes across the screen that there's yet another shooting in Dayton, Ohio. This time, the shooter kills eight people plus his own sister. Somebody shout insanity. And while we were fixated on what was going on in Dayton and El Paso, most of us missed because the news could only just focus on so much at one time. But in Chicago, the same weekend, seven people lost their lives and 45 people were wounded in at least two mass shootings that took place. As a matter of fact, so many people were wounded that one hospital in Chicago said, we can't take anymore. Same weekend. Now... On one hand, there's a little distinction between the shootings in Chicago, etc. Uh, in Chicago, it was related to gang and, and drug uh, violence, which uh, is a reminder, though, that that's produced by the toxic atmosphere of hopelessness. It shows up in urban communities all over this country, particularly where black and brown kids are, broken education system, broken economic system, so forth and so on, absentee dads, toxic atmosphere of hopelessness. Tell somebody, hopelessness can be a dangerous thing. But then the shooting in Dayton and El Paso and in Gilroy, I would say, was produced by 
a toxic atmosphere of hatred, which is flowing out of this horrendously polarized culture, politically and otherwise, that we happen to be in today. Tell somebody, hatred can be a dangerous thing. Dangerous thing. So while I was in Cushada, I started watching the news, and I came back and getting ready to try to celebrate my anniversary and all that, and, but I just kept trying to watch the news and read the news, and, 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 and I'm smart enough to know that if you watch one news station, it's going to give you just a slice from their perspective, right? So, so I, I try to watch a little CNN, a little Fox News, a little MSNBC, a little Fox Business, and, 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 and as I was watching and reading and all of this stuff, I found myself feeling more and more powerless because of the talking heads that's happening. You know, they're saying all kind of crazy stuff. Folk running for president, the president, everybody else saying all kind of crazy stuff. Right? And I feel like, man, all these politicians, so far removed, can't do anything. And then uh, I started feeling angry. And the more I was watching, the angrier I got. And then I found myself slipping into a place of downcastness. And, 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 and it was kind of bad. It was so bad, I decided to stop watching. Because it was so toxic. I, could, I said, look, I can't. I'm going to go back and watch a little because you've got to be informed. But, but I just, I just got to step away. Right? And then I remembered, oh, I haven't been to my church in two weeks. <laughs> and y'all, I wish you could have seen the light that came on my face when I realized that I was going to get to come, not just to church, but I was going to get to come to this church on this Sunday morning. Oh, I wish you could have seen the light that came because I knew that when I stood on this stage, I was going to look out at you and all of your beautiful diversity against the backdrop of racism and polarization and all of the craziness that's going on in the world. But because of the commonality of our love for Jesus, here we sit together, hope for the world, love for the world, right here today. By the way, coming to church, at least coming to this church, ought to be an antidote for what you're facing. So I want you to experience it just for a moment. Would you just get up from your seat and just hug two or three people? We're all different in here. Just hug two or three people. Celebrate the diversity, the hope, and the love. Come on, here's our hope. That's so beautiful. All right, let's be seated. See what happens when we start loving. You know, on Wednesday afternoon, while uh, our folk, 40s plus, were over to uh, Henry Ford, because our relationship with Garfield has been so strong over the last three years, they had their first all-day staff faculty meeting and the principal invited me to come and talk to the faculty. That's worth a hand praise right there. 
And I, 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 so I start off telling them about who we are and all of our diversity. And then I said to them, you know what? If you get beneath the surface, you'll find all of the arguments that's going on out there. We'd be having them in here too. Right? I said, but the difference is that most of us, and I say most of us, because we've got some people here who are not Jesus followers. You're just trying to figure out whether you want to be or not. We, man, we're so happy you're here. Just keep checking us out. But most of us, we've committed that our highest loyalty is to the one who died on Calvary's cross for us. Our loyalty to Jesus is higher than our loyalty to a party, to a president, to folk running for president, to politicians. He is the one that can save my soul and transform my life. Long after all that is gone. Come on now. And so I said, because we're trying to be loyal and live like Jesus and love like Jesus, we keep finding a, a way to critique ourselves. We keep finding a way to try to get better at living like him and loving like him. So as a context that we're going to talk about today, you know what was going on with me as I was listening to the news? Oh, I long for the days of Walter Conkright, <laughs> Frank Reynolds. You remember those days? From 6 to 6.30, they just said, here's what's happening. They reported, come on now, they reported, that's all that stuff. Do you know whatever channel you watch, you get three minutes of news and three hours of commentary. <laughs> I was listening to the commentary. I was getting angry. Getting a little toxic. And then it hit me. That stuff I was listening to, as important as it was, was beginning to feed my sin nature. Yeah. Tell the person next to you, just, just ask and say, did you know you have a sin nature? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we, we're all sinners. And sometimes we forget, we think, they're sinners. Come on now. Y'all sinners. Go on. I'm not a sinner. No, baby. It was feeding my sin nature. And the toxicity. And so the first thing I want to suggest, and before we can come up with a solution, we've got to figure out how we're part of the problem. And so the first thing is we've got to acknowledge that all of us are sinners. We all have a sin nature. And we got to be careful how the fractionalization of our culture begins to feed our sin nature. Well, let me just tell you a couple of things that happens when uh, what our sin nature does. Uh, it, number one, it tempts us. I'm in Genesis now. I'm going to race through this because this is beautiful uh, teaching here. I just love it, these first couple of chapters. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 reminds us that one of the first things that the sin nature does is it, it tempts me and tempts you to eliminate God from the formula of life. Now, 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 
In case we got some parents who are beating up on yourself in here, let me just give you some good news. Genesis chapter 3 reminds us that God is depicted as the perfect parent. He gives, uh, he creates two perfect kids. Come on now, Adam and Eve. And he puts them in a perfect environment. Come on, that's full of perfect resources. And he loves them perfectly with an undivided love. And, and despite the fact that he's perfect and they're perfect and they're in a, a perfect environment, they still terrible the world and shatter his heart. So what makes you think, parents, in your imperfections, your imperfect environments, that somehow you're supposed to do a better job raising kids than God? The text about eliminating, God has said to Adam and Eve, Billions of trees you can have. Just this one. Don't touch. It's deeper than the tree, y'all. And then, and, then, and then the tempter comes. Verse 4 and 5. And he says to Eve, you will not die. God said you'll die, but you won't die. He knows, watch it, that the moment you eat, your eyes will come open and you will be like God. Translation. You won't need him anymore. See, 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 there's only one God seat and either God sits in that seat or you sit in the seat. And if you sit in the seat, it means you're going to kick God out. Wow. And, 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 and so, so in, in our culture, there is this temptation to eliminate God from the formula of life. And when you do, you really do eliminate the hope because those folk who were shooting Education will not stop them, and wealth will not change them. It takes the power and the love of God operating in the human heart. But that wasn't my problem when I was listening to the news. That's what wasn't going on with me. I wasn't thinking about eliminating God. My problem is in chapter 4. Let's visit chapter 4. Verses 3 through 5, Cain and Abel's story. Yeah, here it is. Uh, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Notice just some of the fruits is as though Cain just grabbed it. On his way, he just picked up some. For the fruits, right? The soil is an offering to the Lord. He said, well, I got to offer you something. And Abel also brought an offering, but check it out. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, the best he had. And so the Lord looked with favor on Abel because what the offering reflected was the heart, you see. With flavor, favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So, here's, here's a commentary on our sociology right now. So Cain was very angry and his face was down. All right, let's not, we don't have to get so deep. The writer is trying to tell us three things. Number one, the writer is saying, first of all, what's going wrong in Cain's life has everything to do with Cain's choices, not Abel's. Y'all ain't listening. Number two, watch this. Cain, it's, it's implied, got angry because he had a crop problem. Everybody say crop problem. 
Now, it may not be as obvious, but in the day that this text was written, it was an agrarian society. And so people understood that, that, that if, if your crops were growing, they felt like you had the favor of God. It was being blessed. If your crop was dying, it meant that you didn't have the favor of God. You, you weren't being blessed. If you were a, a, a shepherd like Abel and your livestock was blossoming, you were being blessed. You had the favor of God. If it wasn't, you weren't. You see how it works. So here's what's going on with Cain. Cain comes out and he looks around and stuff he's planted. He said, like, they was, it, it was supposed to be up like two months ago. It hadn't even broke dirt. He looks over here and he said, like, there's some stuff planted there, but there's holes in the greens. And he looks at the trees where he planted. He says, like, there's no fruit on the tree. There's supposed to be fruit. Where's my fruit? He looks around. Oh, there is some fruit over here, but it's all puny. And by the way, look at the worms coming through it. And he's like, oh my God, I don't understand what's going on with my crop. And then he looks across the fields. And his brother is in charge of the livestock. Come on now. And, and all he sees is that livestock are multiplying. They're, they're galloping across the landscape. They're about hundreds and even thousands. They're, they're wet fed. And every day there's more and more and more and more. <laughs> so he looks over there. And he sees this blessing on Abel. And his crops are dying. He gets angry. He starts to soak. And he concludes that Abel is the cause of his crop problem. I just gave you a sociological analysis of what's going on in your house. I, I just gave you a sociological analysis of what's happening in our community. Sociology, even before I talk about the politics, baby, this is just sociology. I was talking to a young adult not long ago, and I was trying to get him to step up and get some accountability. And he was saying to me, hey, no, no, listen, my girlfriend, you know, she just dogged me out. I'm a victim. And my boss, you know, he just dogged me out. I'm a victim. You know, my colleagues, man, they just dogged me out. I'm a victim. I said, well, wait a moment. Have you contributed anything? He said, oh, no. Well, wait. If, if you got issues with your girlfriend and issues with your boss, and issues with your colleagues. Come on now. What's the one common denominator? Y'all ain't listening to me. But what he was saying to me, no, it's, it's my girlfriend. It's, she's the reason why I've got a crop problem. You know, I told y'all before, 15 years ago, I was counseling a couple. They're sitting in my office. And the wife laid out eloquently 20 things that the husband did wrong. He agreed with 18 of them. <laughs> so I said to her, well, can you think of one thing that you've contributed to, to, to what's going on in your marriage? She said, wait a moment. She thought. She thought. She said, no, sir, I can't think of one thing. <laughs> in other words, it is her husband, somebody else's fault for what for my crop problem in my marriage you know and 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 see there's nothing wrong with being angry the challenge is be careful what you feed the anger with 
Oh my God, oh my God. And what I discovered, y'all, come on now, is the problem with the news, why you got to be thoughtful when you watch it, is that the problem with the news is it tells you, and I don't care what station you watch, it tells you, I don't care what you read, the algorithms reproduce what you like. They tell you, number one, here's the problem. Number two, here's the blame for the problem. Number three, here's who you ought to be upset with. Come on now. And if you're not careful, you just keep feeding on that same stuff and that toxicity before you know it. Come on now. You have made the cane mistake. You end up deciding that that person or that group, come on now, is the blame for your crop problem. America's crop problem. It's the group, you know. Depending on what you watch, it's the group. It's the Republicans, they the blame. It's the group, you know. It's the Democrats, they the blame. It's the group, you know. It's the poor, they're the blame. It's the group, you know. It's the it's the wealthy, they're the blame. It's the group. You know, telling you who to blame, telling you who to dislike, telling you who to be angry with, telling you who to hate. It's the immigrants, they the blame. Right? It's the liberals, they the blame. It's the conservatives, they the blame. And a whole group of people. And you just keep feeding on the same toxicity. All right, watch this. So chapter verse 5 and verse 8. Verse 5, it tells us what I just said, that he's, he's angry. He's angry because his brother he has accused is the reason for his, f and he's soaking. That's why he's downcast. And now he starts feeding with toxicity. And then watch verse 8. Verse 8 is instructive. Watch it. So now Cain says to his brother, hey man, let's go out to the field. Hang out together. Somebody say premeditated. Yeah, yeah. And he's thought this thing through because in the toxicity, he started to plan. He's got to figure out, come on now, how he's going to eliminate his problem. So he thought about, hey, we're going to go to this place in the field. We're going to use this. I'm going to use this rock. Here's how I'm going to dispose of the body. He thought this thing through. And while they were in the field, Cain, what? Attacked and killed his brother. Well, the text does not tell us that they have any more siblings at this moment. So you'd have to assume that these folk grew up, these two grew up together. At some point in life, they were tight with one another. So what has to happen in somebody's mind so you can kill your own brother? Well, the first thing you have to, uh, that has to happen is that you have to de-brother him. In your toxicity, you, you got to keep working. You got to keep working until in your mind somehow you forget the fact that you share the same blood. Come on. And that your lives are inextricably bound together. You've got to de-brother him. But before you can actually kill him, you then have to dehumanize him. By the way, second, that's number two, that the sin nature will, will tempt you to eliminate God from the formula. But secondly, it will tempt you to dehumanize others. Well, you recognize this, don't you? Just walk with me through history. You get it. Come on now. Go to Germany. How is it possible that they killed six million Jews? They dehumanized them. Come on. Go to, go to Rwanda. 
uh, uh, the Hutsis killed 800,000 Tutsis. How did they do it? They dehumanized them. Come on, come on, come, come to America. How did we wipe out millions of Native Americans? Well, you know what? They were savages. We dehumanized them, you know. Uh, 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 how did we enslave millions of African Americans and, and breeded them out and breeded them around? Well, they're only three-fourths, three-fifths of a human. We dehumanize them, you see? And if you're not careful, uh, 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 that's what TV and media will do to you. It will, it, it will seduce you into dehumanizing. I said, you, because you'll send nature into demonizing. How do you go to El Paso, drive 600 miles, and shoot a, a bunch of Latino people? Well, you dehumanized them. How do you kill, including your sister? You dehumanized them. How do you shoot a, how do you shoot a six-year-old? Of the 47 that was killed in, the 7 that was killed in Chicago, and the 47, come on now, that was wounded, you dehuma, dehumanize. What group, what person, what family member have you dehumanized recently? Well, let me tell you where to start. Check the people you've defriended. Check the party that you used to go to that you don't go to no more because those folks, I didn't know he thought that way. I can't be with him. In this world, even folk who project that they are tolerant are only tolerant of people who think like them. Be aware of your sin. Nature. Oh, let me give you one last thing. Tell the person next to you, you got to come back next week. <laughs> I can't finish this. Here. You got to come back next week. <laughs> I'm going to kick off a new series called Don't Believe It. And I'm going to pick up where I leave off at here. Everybody shout, don't believe it, don't believe it. <clears throat> let me get this last point. Not only will sin tempt you to eliminate God from the formula of life. Not only will sin tempt you to dehumanize the folk that you disagree with. But sin will tempt you, I'm talking about your sin nature, to dehumanize yourself. Come on, right, right here, verse, look at it, verse 13 and 14. I mean, uh, uh, Cain kills his brother, does the unthinkable. And, and, and God says, I'm going to punish you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to banish you, I'm going to make you a lifetime wandering because there are consequences to your action. And by the way, that's how sin does it. It, it. it messes up our relationship with God. Come on now. It isolates us into small groups and separates us and segregates us from others. Listen to Cain. Cain replies, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You've banished me from the land and from your presence. You've made me a homeless wonder. Here's my translation to this last piece. My life is not worth a plucked nickel. Anyone who finds me will kill me. Everybody knows that I'm not worth being left alive. Because of the things that I've done, the regrettable thing that I did. I'm dehumanized. Oh, you get this, don't you? You know, the person 
who's been in domestic violence for so long and then they get out and they go back into the domestic violence for somebody else. You know why? Because they have concluded, they have adopted a dehumanized category for themselves. Or the person who says, I'm poor, so therefore, uh, because my daddy wasn't in my life, so therefore, uh, uh, because, of, uh, because of this issue or that issue, I, I can never be anybody special. You've adopted a dehumanized category. You see, because oppression is real and dysfunction does trip you up and poverty does create some obstacles. And yet, at the same time, come on now, those things are explanation for your history, but they will never suffice as an excuse for your future because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and then there are those of us who've done the unthinkable every one of us have we've done the things that we said we would never do and so it is the sin I remember the story of the soldier who had a choice to make a little girl was coming to him in Iraq and she had stripped with bombs Either he would allow her to walk in and blow up in his platoon and kill them all, or he had to kill her. He sees that in his mind. It's the unthinkable. Whew. Watch what God does. Verse 15. Verse 15 to Cain. I mean, some of y'all sitting here, you say he ought to be killed. He said, man, he killed your brother. I mean, that's the same stuff that got you, us in the mess that we're in, right? Come on, come on, we're judging you. Kill that booger, right? Come on now. And you're thinking about somebody you know. Wait, watch God. God says, hold it. No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you because even though I'm going to let you live out your consequences, I still love you. I'm going to put a mark on you. Come on now, to tell everybody, if you touch him, you touch me. Oh, I got to finish here, y'all, but let me, let me wrap it up. Good God Almighty, just leap forward. Come on now. So how do I handle my, my sin nature so that I don't let the toxicity in the culture transform me into, listen, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Them folk who went out there shooting and killing, we don't like to admit it, but if you're not careful, those people are the furthest extreme of who we are. How do I, well, you got to be transformed by the love of God. How is that? Well, you know, I, heard, I said it the other day. I said it a few moments ago. For God so loved the world, that includes your enemies, that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believe in him shall not perish. Watch this. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's you, me, and our enemies and folk we disagree. But that all of us through him might be saved. Oh, man, you, you know what Romans 5, 8, 9 says. It says, for God shows us his love. By sending Christ to die for us. I mean, including the us. You know who the us? It includes all of the people who are different from us. As well. Why he shed his blood for them. While we are still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. What are you trying to say from God's perspective? Lord have mercy. Uh, from God's perspective. Uh, we, 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 we all deserve judgment. Well, from God's perspective. We all deserve to be wiped out. I don't care how cute you are. How sweet you are. How good you think you are. Come on now. That the collectiveness of your life and your mistakes. And the things you've done come on now we all ought to be dehumanized and 
wiped out. But God says, oh no, come on now. And sent his son. And, and rather than decoupling us, come on, making us not brothers and sisters, he couples himself to us and dies when we should have died. The cross, y'all, goes into the grave, pays for our sin. And now he says, I've given you peace between you and God. And if that really saves you in your soul, it commissions you to build peace between one another. And the people in the house said amen. amen. And amen. Give God a hand, praise.